So uh, if you would receive that, as you're receiving that, everyone needs one. Uh, look around if you would. And if you're in a small group, pay attention to those that aren't here that are part of your small group. Now, they may be serving in the children's ministry or, uh, you know, some other place on security. But if you're missing an action, reach out to them and say, hey, we're missing you today. Are you okay? You know why we do that? Because we love people and we're being relational and we're letting, letting them know that we miss their presence with us here today. So please do that at this time. Look around and reach out to them and let them know that you care about them and that you miss them. You know, for our 400 training, what I would say about it, we call it ongoing training for making disciples. What you need to think about it as is, is never-ending training because we are in never-ending training. And we have the 100 series and the 200 series and the 300 series. The 400 series just goes on and on and on and on. It's ongoing. It's never-ending. And so if you're wondering if you need to come, well, you need more training to make disciples. We all do. So I would encourage you, uh, if, you've been to, if you haven't been at all, come to 401. If you've been to 401, come to 402. If you've been to 402, we'll, uh, Sandra and I will be a part of a leadership team that's leading 403. And uh, come and be with us for that training. It will impact your life in a very uh, significant way. We'll have a lot of fun at it as well. Uh, there's very little instruction given during all the time that we're to get together as far as like a lecture type instruction. It's interactive instruction because we want it to be relational because that's the way we primarily make disciples at Western Hills. Uh, relationship is the tracks that effective discipleship travels on. And so come and be a part of 400. Sign up for that. You know, on a negative note, uh, this week I heard, many of you heard, if you're on Facebook, of a significant Christian leader in our nation that committed suicide. And, you know, whenever that happens, it, especially when it's a significant Christian leader in a community, it shakes everybody. And, you know, we know the promises of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it makes us wonder what in the world was going on that this particular individual would take their, their own life. And we show compassion in those situations, and we should show great compassion, because obviously that person was in tremendous pain in order to take their own life. And we also, uh, we also show compassion for the family, who's, when it happens to a family, it's just totally devastating. And, you know, it's not something that you anticipate happening you know, like you do with a terminal disease, you anticipate death. It's going to happen. But with this kind of a situation, you don't anticipate it. And so it's like an accident, but it's not an accident. And it's just absolutely devastating. You know, what all people would agree upon is that anyone who takes their own life is depressed. They're suffering from depression. And I'm, I'm not an expert on depression. I've experienced depression uh, countless times during the course of my 64 years of living. Sometimes it's been very severe. At other times it's been light. And so I've experienced depression, but I'm not an expert on depression. And I'm not an expert on what causes it. There's been many times in my life where I felt depressed and I've asked the question, why am I feeling depressed? And the answer was, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I couldn't even figure it out. Everything seemed to be going well in my life, but I was feeling depressed in that moment. And so I'm certainly not an expert on it. I don't really believe that anybody is. I believe only God ultimately knows the human heart and all of its intricacies and all the things that motivate people in their lives. But you know what? I am, I do have a lot of knowledge about something because of God in my life and because of his word, which we at Western Hills believe is the final authority for what we believe and what we practice. And I so... Uh, appreciate Scott hammering that home for us last week in his message and how important it is for us to be connected to the truth in God's word as our lifeline 
And so from God's word, I certainly know a lot about something that's in God's word, and that's human nature. I know a lot about human nature. And because of God's word, I do understand some of the things that every one of us needs because we are all human beings. That's something we all share in common here this morning. We can all say we are all human beings. And so we have similar needs, even though we're very unique in the way that we're made, even though we're very unique in our personalities in various ways, although we may be unique in our family backgrounds and our social makeup, and we may be very unique when it comes to our nationality, our race, our gender. There's a lot of uniquenesses. But I want you to understand, because of our human nature, there are certain things that are true of all of us that are clearly revealed to us in God's Word. Because our physical need, uh, besides our physical need for food and shelter, we all need that. I think all of us would say, yeah, we need food and shelter. That's something we all share in common. We also have a mental and emotional needs in our soul that we all share. And they're the same, mental and emotional needs in our soul. So we have physical needs and we have mental and we have emotional needs in our soul. Our soul is made up of our mind, our will, and our emotions. And one of the needs in our soul that is, is very, very important is, to, is this need that we all have to know and feel that we are significant. Do you recognize that need in your soul to know and feel that you as an individual are significant? You might say, to know I'm important. You might say, to know my life is worth something. This morning, I'm going to say to know and feel that you as an individual are significant. In fact, this need to know and feel that we are significant is so great to us as people that our feelings can be easily hurt when someone does something that makes us feel insignificant. Now, would you admit that? That your feelings can be easily hurt when someone does something that makes you feel insignificant. It could be as something as common as, well, they didn't say hi to me this morning. Maybe you've already felt that this morning from someone here. They didn't say hi to me this morning. What's wrong? And it made you feel insignificant. And it hurts your feelings. That's how great this need is in us, both mentally and emotionally, that our feelings can be easily hurt when we feel that someone has done something or not done something that makes us feel insignificant. This is such a great need in us, this need to know and, and feel that we're significant, that we as human beings will sacrifice our personal freedom to be in a bad relationship with someone that we believe will make us feel significant. I often ask, how in the world did they marry that person? I scratch my head and go, how did that happen? Well, they married them because that person they believed was going to make them feel significant, was going to make them, was, was going to make them feel secure, in some way. And I'm looking at it and going, what were they thinking? They were so driven by their need that they were blinded to certain warning signs that they should have seen that were going to cause them great pain in that relationship. This need to know and feel that we're significant is so great that we will put ourselves at great risk and even exhaust ourselves to accomplish things if we believe those accomplishments will make us significant. How many of you have seen the movie Free Solo? Free Solo. I'm the only one here that's seen it. You saw it? Did I say the title right? Thank you. So the three of us can talk about it. Free Solo. What's the name of the mountain cliff that he climbed? 
It's this cliff straight up in Yosemite National Park. El Capitan. And the movie is about the guy who climbed it without any ropes. Now, why would he do that? Why would you do that? Well, it's just one major example of things that we will do, even great risk that we will take to accomplish things if we believe those accomplishments will make us significant. This mental and emotional need is so great in us that we will compromise our moral conscience to please someone that we believe will make us feel significant. It happens every day. This need to know and feel that we're significant is so important to us that we will isolate ourselves from society if it's necessary to avoid people in situations that makes us feel significant. Have you ever stayed home from church because you didn't want to see someone? Or stayed home from somewhere else? Because Why would you do that? Because that other person has hurt your feelings and they don't make you feel significant. So you're going to isolate yourself, right? You're being driven by this need within you. This need is so significant in us that those who understand this need for significance in us can appeal to this need in us to manipulate us into doing what they want us to do. Yeah, scammers understand this need in people and they take advantage of it. They can make you feel significant by, you know, giving them what they want. They're going to take advantage of that in you. This need is so important to us, this need to know and feel we're significant, that we will hide our faults from others and even lie to gain the approval of those that we will believe will make us feel significant. I've certainly done that one, huh? It's so great in us that we will spend extravagant sums of money on our appearance, the cars we drive, and the homes we live in if we believe that's going to make us significant. It's so great in us that we will tolerate emotional, physical, and even sexual abuse by someone close to us if we believe they can make us feel significant. It's so great in us that our human bodies, as our human bodies decline and we are no longer able to do what we were able to do at one time, we can begin to seriously think and feel that we are insignificant and why are we still here and our life is a waste. This need is so great in us that we can come to a point where we're in such pain that we can take our own life because we don't believe and we don't feel that our lives count, matter, that they're significant. You know, I'm not an expert on suicide, but I do know that a sense of personal failure and personal loss that makes us feel insignificant is one of the greatest causes of depression and suicide in the world. Now, no one is an exception to this particular need. All people have this need in our soul for significance. It's true for every man. It's true for every woman. It's true for every race and nationality of people. It's true for the rich, and it's also true for the poor. It's true for the healthy, and it's also true for the sick. It's true for the young, and it's true for the old. How many of you have lived long enough to know that you have been driven to use various ways to make you think and feel you are significant, and those ways have failed you. Would you raise your hand? Yeah, I don't know at what point it was in my journey. I wasn't very old where I realized that those things that I was trying to use to make me feel significant were empty cisterns. And I hope that you've come to that point in your life because it'll be important to you as you hear the rest of this message. You know, professional athletes will tell you that winning a world championship is the greatest feeling they've ever experienced. I've heard it said in interviews after the Super Bowl, after the NBA championship, uh, by many, many different athletes. That's the greatest feeling that I've ever experienced. And they say even, I don't even have words for this feeling, that to know that you're at the pinnacle, that you're at the top, you're the world champion. Your team is better than everyone else in the world. It's an incredible feeling. Then I've also heard the same people say that after the parade is over, that belief and feeling about themselves just quickly goes away. I mean, quickly goes away and dissipates. And I know this is true about all professional athletes. Father time always wins. So if your hope as a professional athlete 
is in winning championships to make you feel significant, you have a short window of time in order to see that happen. You better have a backup plan because you're not going to stay on top of the world no matter who you are. What if there was a way to have this need for significance so fully satisfied in you that the choices you make in life would never again be determined by this mental and emotional need? Would you want to know about it if there was a way for this need for significance to be met in you and fully satisfied in you that you would not be a slave to wrong choices anymore? You know, Jesus promised a Samaritan woman that if she believed in him, the needs of her soul would be fully satisfied. This woman had been married and rejected by men five times. I mean, back at the time this story was written, women did not divorce their husbands. Men divorced their wives. And she had been married five times, and five different times men had rejected her. She had reached a point that she thought so little of herself and her public reputation that she was willing just to live with a man without, apart from marriage because he would not marry her. Jesus met this woman at a well, and that meeting led to a discussion. And here's what happened in that particular meeting in John chapter 4 and verse 5. It says that Jesus came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, and it was near a plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. Jacob had dug a well there that was known as Jacob's well at this particular location. Jesus, therefore, was wearied from his journey, and he sat by the well, and it was about the sixth hour of the day, which is about noon, right? And a woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink of water. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food, so he's alone there at the well with the woman. And then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. There was a racial issue between the Jews and the Samaritans. And they did not interact. They did not consider one another. They did not talk to one another. Well, Jesus answered and said to her, If you know the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Wow. We turned this conversation from a conversation about physical water to a conversation about living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. She didn't understand what he was talking about. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, the physical water from the well he's talking about. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. Wow, that's an incredible promise. He's talking about the need of her soul, being fully satisfied somehow from, the, from a river of living water. But the water that I shall give him will become in him it's going to come, this river that satisfies the needs of the soul is going to come from within him, a fountain of water that springs up into everlasting life. Now in John chapter 7, this story is in John 4, in John 7, the apostle John said that the living water is the Holy Spirit. Listen to what John said in John seven thirty seven. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But then it says, But this he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So the living water is the Holy Spirit of God that so satisfies the needs of our soul. Hmm. From within us, so satisfies the needs of our soul, fully satisfies the needs for our soul. 
And certainly this means our need for significance. The Holy Spirit of God. Well, how can this be? How can this be? We have a picture here of Pentecost, if you'd put it up, please. And uh, you see the flames of fire that are resting upon each person that believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. There were actually 120 there that were first baptized with the Holy Spirit. The symbol of fire represents the Holy Spirit's presence and the Holy Spirit's coming, which fulfilled the promise of Jesus Christ. So how can this be? How can the Holy Spirit's presence in us be a river of living water that is fully that fully satisfies the needs of our souls. How can this be? If this is true, this means that you and I would no longer need to perform for anyone's approval in order to believe and feel that we are significant. Take away that. Wouldn't that be freeing? I never have to perform for anyone else's approval to know I'm significant. If this is true, then you and I would no longer need to reach our goals and get the results that we want in order to believe and feel that we're significant. In other words, I don't have to be successful at my goals because that's not where I'm getting my need met. My need's coming from what? The Holy Spirit, a, a river of living water that's flowing within me, meaning meeting my emotional and my mental needs. If this is true, then the choices that you and I make would no longer have to be driven by our need to believe and feel that we are significant. Just think about how freeing that would be. Jesus said in John 8, 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And he who is free is free indeed. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would provide an endless supply of satisfactions to the needs of our soul. Now we've talked about this uh, before I left and uh, it's been mentioned again uh, since then. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is made up in three parts. And these three parts of the gospel are found throughout the New Testament. They're not always found in the same place. And at some point you'll read one epistle and there's an emphasis on one part of the gospel truth. And on another part of an epistle, there's another part of the gospel truth that's emphasized. And so, in order to understand what we call the full gospel, you have to study the scriptures and know the gospel in its completeness. And so, those three parts of the gospel, we've broken them down. We've said there is a judicial part of the gospel, there is a positional part of the gospel, and there is an experiential part of the gospel. These three truths about are the gospel of Jesus Christ. It would be very serious if we left out one of those parts of the gospel. It would be very serious. It would, it would impact our life in an incredible way if we leave out any part of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's take a look again at these three parts of the gospel and understand how the gospel meets our needs and becomes a river of living water within us. The judicial truth of the gospel is that God the Father gave his son Jesus to die for our sins. In other words, instead of us dying, he died for us. That's judicial. The legal, uh, the legal judgment against us was fully satisfied by his death on the cross so that you and I don't have to satisfy that legal judgment. In Acts 20, 28... The apostle said, therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. That's a legal terminology. That's the legal part of the gospel, the judicial part. You know, market value is determined by what someone is willing to pay. Sandra and I, when we were in California, we went to visit uh, a place where she lived with her family in California for five years from the time she was like four years old until like the third grade or, uh, you know, fourth grade. And we went and looked at this house in this particular neighborhood. It looks like a house in the neighborhood that I was raised in in Dell City. 
And in that neighborhood in Dell City, I remember I sold that house. After my father died, I sold it for $15,000. Well, I looked up on Zillow the price of Sandra's old homestead, and it looks just like my house in Dell City. And the house on Zillow is estimated to be worth $499,000. It's 1,200 square feet. It's not even close to the water. It's not even close to the mountains. It's just in the L.A. area, $499,000. You see, the market value, the market value of something is determined by what someone is willing to pay for it. Well, what was God willing to pay for you? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's what he paid for you. That's what God considered your market value to be. How much are you worth? You're worth the life of the son of God. You're worth the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's the judicial truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Since Jesus paid for our sin, all our sins are forgiven once and for all, and all our shame is removed. The righteousness of Christ is credited to our account. That's judicial. Well, this judicial truth of the gospel makes you and I, those of us who have received Jesus, very, very significant. Remember that. And then you have the positional truth of the gospel. And that positional truth of the gospel is that when we receive Jesus, God the Father gives us the right to become his children. In John 1.12, John the Apostle said, But as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. The Bible goes on to say things like, We're seated with his son Jesus in a place of honor at God's table as members of his family because we're his children. Even now, it says, we're seated with Christ. It's talking about at a dinner table where we are being honored as the children of God. I want you to understand something. That makes us important. Not only that, as children, we are granted immediate access to God's throne. There are many of you that called uh, over this last two weeks while we were gone. And you know what? You heard my answering machine. And my answering machine said, I'd, I'm gone from this date to this date and I'll be out of the office. And you know what? I didn't call any of you back. But I want you to know, one of my children calls, I'm calling them back. As, I'm calling them back almost as quickly as I get the message. Because they're my children. And Jesus Christ has made it possible for you to be a child of God. You've been granted immediate access to God's throne no matter how busy he is. You're heirs of God. You're a part of his inheritance and join heirs with Christ. The Bible says that because we're children of God, we will reign with Christ for eternity. That's positional truth. That we are now the children of God. And I want you to know this positional truth of the gospel. It makes you and I very important. Very significant. You need to remember that. And then there's this experiential truth of the gospel. The experiential truth of the gospel is that God sends his spirit to dwell in us as a deposit of our future inheritance. It's just a deposit. <laughs> Wow, when you start reading about the Holy Spirit's presence in us and that we're the temple of God right now, and you come to understand, that's just a deposit? <laughs> wow, what's, what's the whole load going to be, you know? What's the final inheritance going to be if this is just the deposit of the inheritance that we receive? It says in Ephesians 1.13, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That means you're secured as a child of God by the Holy Spirit of promise. It's not based on your performance. It's based upon his performance. You're sealed. Who is the guarantee, guarantee, absolute guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. 
The Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. When he comes to dwell in us, he comes to dwell in us permanently for eternity. And that's the deposit of our future inheritance. And we become united as one with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that he's not an independent person within us. It means that he's within us, though, and we are one with him. Because of our union with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says we're raised from death spiritually. That means we can have a relationship with God as spiritual beings. Because of our union with the Holy Spirit, we become a new man, a new person, a new creation. Because of our union with the Holy Spirit, we're partakers of God's divine nature. Because of our union with the Holy Spirit, the law of God is written on our heart. It's no longer just written in pages that we read. The law of God, the moral law of God is written right on our hearts when the Holy Spirit lives within us. Because of our union with the Holy Spirit, we have within us the mind of Christ. I need that discernment. How about you? Because of our union with the Holy Spirit, we have divine gifts to perform the will of God, which we're going to talk about in weeks to come. Because of our union with the Holy Spirit, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the will of God. Because of our union with the Holy Spirit, we have a mission while we're still here to make disciples. Every one of us, if we have the Holy Spirit, shares the same mission, to make disciples for Jesus Christ. And because of our union with the Holy Spirit, we have an eternal mission that's even greater than the one we have right now that just hadn't been revealed to us what it's going to be like, right? Very little is said about it in Scripture, but we know we have one. Because of our union with the Holy Spirit, we are the masterpiece, the absolute masterpiece of God's creation. The ocean was wonderful, but I am the masterpiece of God's creation. The mountains were wonderful, but I am the masterpiece of God's creation. We even saw bears. I want you to understand, I am the masterpiece of God's creation, not those bears. You and I, if we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, are the masterpiece of God's creation. We can bring glory to God in ways that even angels cannot achieve. As powerful as they are, they recognize that we've been created in the image of God in such a way and that the Spirit of God is united with our spirit in such a way that we can bring glory and honor to God in ways that even the angels can't bring to God. This experiential truth of the gospel makes us very significant. And it is a river of living water within us to meet our mental and emotional needs. So how does the judicial, positional, and experiential truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ make you significant? Here's the summary. Here's the summary of it. The gospel of Jesus Christ changes how much you're worth, it changes whose you are, and it changes who you are. The gospel of Jesus Christ changes your price, it changes your position and privilege, and it changes your person. The gospel of Jesus Christ changes your value, it changes your favor, it changes your ability. The gospel of Jesus Christ changes your rank, it changes your relationship, and it changes your reality. The gospel of Jesus Christ changes your cost, it changes your class, and it changes your condition. The gospel of Jesus Christ makes you first in expense, first in brand, and first in performance. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ, I like this picture, it inflates you. I would say that that value of that house in California, do we have the picture? No? Yes? Please. Do we? It inflates you. They went to the bathroom. The gospel of Jesus Christ, it inflates our value. I would say it's overinflated, but God says, no, it's not. The gospel of Jesus Christ upgrades us. It upgrades us. On one of our flights from uh, Los Angeles to Montana, it's about a two-hour flight, Mike and Amy were on that flight with us, and they, through their goodness, upgraded us to first class. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, being upgraded into first class, it was incredible. That seat was so much more comfortable and my bottom would actually fit in it. <laughs> and I, I, I could fit in it without disturbing Sandra sitting next to me because there's only two of them, you know. And, uh, and so, and then that, that lady, she was giving us drinks before the plane ever took off. I couldn't believe it. Serving us drinks before the plane ever took off. At one point during the flight, you know, she came by and she had this hot, warm rag. 
for me to wash my face with. I was upgraded. I didn't perform the upgrade. I didn't ask for the upgrade. It just got, it happened through their grace and their mercy. I was upgraded. The gospel of Jesus Christ upgrades us. It puts us in a different class. And I want you to know it's better than riding in first class on a plane. The gospel of Jesus Christ transforms you. We've all heard the stories of butterflies, where they come from. They come from what? Caterpillars. And that's what the gospel of Jesus Christ does. It transforms us. Uh, Today, we're all into looking at fixer-uppers, you know? And you have the before and you have the after on all these fixer-uppers. And I want you to know that's what the gospel of Jesus Christ does to you when you receive Jesus and the Holy Spirit. It fixes you up. It transforms you. All the truths of the gospel meet the needs of our soul, but the experiential truth of the gospel, that's the Holy Spirit coming to live in us, changes our view of our identity, and it is a river of living water that satisfies our need for significance. It changes our identity. It's not anymore just this God did this for me and God did this for me and yeah, I know, God says this about me, and, but I'm really a scumball. No, you're not. Not if the Holy Spirit lives within you. If you say you're a scumball, if you say that you're something less than what God says about you, you are denying the truth of God's word. It changes your identity. Don't find your significance and your value to others. I have a picture that I was going to show you of a coach yelling at a player. And... Uh, Here's a coach just taking his wrath out on a player. It's Tom Izzo, by the way, one of his Michigan State players. And at one point, when you're an athlete, I want you to know your coach just loves you. And in the next moment, he's in your face and he's chewing you out. Don't find your significance in your value to others. Don't find your significance in your position in this world. You know, everyone loves to play the game when you're an athlete. But there's a lot of people that sit on the bench. Don't find your significance in your position in this world. Don't find your significance in your performance, no matter what you're performing at. Whether it's in music or athletes or business or education or whatever it is. There we go. Next one. We get the next one. Here we go. This is a U.S. uh, national team this year, and they just lost in the World Games. And uh, they had won, I don't know how many games in a row before they experienced this loss. Look at them hanging their heads there. You know, you know what they're feeling right now? In fact, their coach, Popovich, came out and began to accuse everybody about who was uh, criticizing them for their poor performance. You know, he felt the need to defend them. Why? Because he knows where they find their significance at. And, and he didn't want people to make them feel insignificant. He wanted our nation to be proud of them in spite of their performance. How often does that happen with you? You know? How often are people proud of you in spite of your performance? They should be if the Holy Spirit is living in you. You know, when we think about ourselves, our natural tendency is to focus our attention on our outer man. Next, next one, please. Thank you. Our tendency is to focus our attention on our outer man. And you know what Paul said about our outer man? He said our outer man is the frame is what we're calling it, our outer man. And it's decaying. (laughs) If you can agree with me that your outer man is decaying, would you say amen? Amen. Yeah, some of you can really agree about it, you know? Because it's like you feel some decay every day, you know what I mean? Some of you young people, you don't feel the decay. But some of you, you feel it every day. And so Paul said, our outer man is decaying. And, and when we think about ourselves, our natural tendency is to focus our attention on our outer man. And our outer man is like the frame of this picture, the frame of this particular picture up here. And when we focus our attention on our outer man, we deal with various unhealthy thoughts and feelings about ourselves. Instead of looking what God says at the actual picture, if we focus on the frame, which is the outer man, which is the cane, then we have all of these negative, unhealthy thoughts and feelings about ourself. And I don't know if you can see the ones that I wrote in there that I think about frequently if I focus on the frame. Uh, Like at the top, I've got uh, sinner. 
Yeah, I'm a sinner. Now, there's truth to that because I still violate and transgress God's laws. But I want you to know, sinner doesn't define me anymore. Because God says, if you'll look in the picture there, I'm a saint. A saint means a holy one. In fact, God says, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So I don't need to be defining myself by what's in the frame. And on one side of the frame, you'll see failure. I'm a failure. If I look at the frame and I define myself by the frame, I often think I'm a failure. And I have those feelings that are associated with thinking that way. But you know what? God doesn't say I'm a failure. If you look within the frame, God says I am a success already in him. In fact, he says I am complete in Christ. I'm complete. I'm done. <laughs> you know, except for the frame. <laughs> I need a new frame, that's for sure. And then if you look on another side over there, it says I am guilty. And then I also wrote in there, I am, and then it says shame, shameful. And then on the frame, it also says, I am rejected. You might put unlovable. And down at the bottom, it says, I am worthless. So if I focus on the frame, the outer man, and I define myself, these are the things that frequently come across my mind and impact my feelings. But we're not supposed to focus on the outer man. We're not supposed to focus on the frame to define ourselves. You recognize this person, right? The Mona Lisa. I mean, how much is that picture within that frame worth? Who knows how much it's worth? But I want you to know, how much is the frame worth? Very little. The frame's not worth a lot, but that picture within the frame. Don't find your significance in the frame. In fact, we got a picture here of a, of a shell and a pearl. Don't find your significance in the shell. And then we have a picture here of a black rock with some gold in it. Don't find your significance in the outer man, the black rock. If you're in Christ, you are the Mona Lisa. You are the pearl. You are the gold. How about that? Yesterday I was talking to Melissa Garut, and she recently had a mastectomy due to uh, breast cancer. And she told me yesterday it was so hard to look at herself in the mirror for the first time. And she said the first time that she got the courage to look at herself in the mirror after this mastectomy, she looked in the mirror and she thought that she looked like Sleestack from the land of the lost. Isn't that sad? That's what came to her mind when she looked at herself in the mirror after experiencing that amputation. Hmm. I wonder, when you look in the mirror, what do you think about yourself? When you look in the mirror, what do you really think about yourself, if you were honest? You have to look in the mirror, hopefully you do every day, right? Some of you, I can tell, you haven't looked in the mirror in a week. <laughs> but when you look in the mirror, what do you think about who you are? Do you see sleaze stack? Do you see some kind of sleaze ball when you look in the mirror? Be honest. Be honest about where you're at. Today. So, Brandon, when you look in the mirror, who do you see? Uh huh. There we go. Am I on now? Check, check. One, two, there we go. Someone who's getting older than I used to be and uh, can't jump as high when I'm playing basketball as I used to. See that? When I look in the mirror, I see someone who spent years in an addiction to pornography and was defeated by that. And I feel shame about that when I look in the mirror. Well, based on who God says you are, who do you see when you look in the mirror? I see someone who is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, who there is no condemnation for me in Christ. I've been totally redeemed 
and restored, a new creation in Christ, completely forgiven. Um, yeah, I'm his, I'm his son. I am adopted. That's who I am in the mirror. Now, the reason I gave you those sheets is so that you will have something to say when I hold up the mirror in front of you. So, Britt, who are you? Where's your sheet? child of God and a member of his family. I am a citizen of God's holy nation, his eternal kingdom. All right. Lauren, who are you? Um, I'm an heir to God through Christ Jesus, and I'm seated with Christ by his throne in heavenly places. All right. Who are you, Will? God's creation. Um, his piece of art. Dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. All right. Katie, who are you? That's what she was going to say, huh? <laughs> um, I'm a saint, a holy one of God. There we go. All right. Who are you, Nathan? When you, when you look in the mirror, based on the truth, who are you? I'm one with the Holy Spirit, and his mind is my mind, and his mission is my mission. Now, here's what you're going to have to do to live in this. You're going to have to, Paul said, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. So what are you going to renew your minds with? The truth of what God says and what you're really doing. All you're doing is you're speaking the gospel to your soul. That's all you're doing. This is not, oh, this is some far-out truth that, you know, is in addition to... No, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the full gospel of Jesus Christ. And what I want you to do, here's your assignment. I want you to take those sheets home, and I want you to rehearse those truths, look up the scriptures, and you get your mind renewed so that you don't have to pick up a sheet of paper when you look in the mirror and you're fighting a spiritual battle, you might have this paper on your refrigerator, and that's good, so you can go refer to it. It's a good collection of truths about who you are in Christ. But you know what? You need to have these truths so ingrained in your mind and your soul that you can speak them to your soul any time you need them. And not only that, you say, well, if we have the Holy Spirit, we don't need each other. Oh, yes, we do. Well, we definitely need the Holy Spirit because we need to encourage one another daily so our hearts won't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. But I need brothers and sisters in my life that know who I am and speak the truth to me. You know, I don't need brothers and sisters in my life that are always just picking on me. Well, he's not perfect. Well, he did this and he did that, you know. I don't need brothers and sisters in my life that are just always telling me what I've done wrong, when I've done wrong, you're not enough, you're not sufficient, whatever. No, I need brothers and sisters in my life that are affirming the truth of the gospel about me. I need that. You know why I need it? Because we're in a war, like Scott said. We're in a war every day with the world and the flesh and the devil. And the world and the flesh and the devil, they're all speaking lies, about who you are, and it's getting worse. It's getting worse. We need each other. We need to be in relationship with each other. Daily, we need to be in relationship with each other to encourage one another in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's going to be a battle. Here's a declaration of truth. Because of Christ's redemption, I am deeply loved. I am completely forgiven. I am fully pleasing to God. I am totally accepted by God. I'm absolutely complete in Christ. I am a new creation of infinite worth. When my behavior reveals my true identity in Christ, that reflection of God's glory is dynamically unique. There has never been another person like me in the history of mankind, nor will there be throughout all of eternity through Jesus Christ. God has made me an original masterpiece of his glory for his glory. Amen and amen. Let's pray together.
Now, have you ever received Jesus? See what you're missing out on? The gospel. The gospel is good news of Jesus. It's not a religion. It's not a bunch of rules and regulations. Within it, there are commandments. But every one of those commandments is a reflection of who you are now that you're in Christ. When God tells you to love your enemies, it's because he is within you. And his love is within you. He has changed your nature to love others. That's who you are. It would be right for you to say, if the Holy Spirit is in you, I am love. In fact, when I don't love, I'm actually being a hypocrite. I'm acting in a way that's different than the way that God created me when I was born again. Wow, how freeing is that? Every single commandment of God has been written on my heart. It's a part of my identity now that I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. Would you receive Jesus this morning if you would? Right now, just do it. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I need you for forgiveness of sin. I need you to become, I want to become a child of God. I need you because I want to become a new creation. Come, Jesus, save me. Come. Just do it right now. Receive Jesus. Now, if you have received Jesus just now or the last week or the last month, the next thing you need to do is follow him in baptism. And we make a way for you to do that here at Western Hills. You just need to come and talk to me or you can talk to your small group leader and say, hey, I need to be baptized. I received Jesus. And we'll set up a time to get that done. So you can profess your faith in the way that Jesus said we all profess our faith in him. It's through the waters of baptism. So I want to encourage you, if you've received Jesus this morning, follow him in baptism. Now I want to ask everyone here who's already received Jesus to purpose in your heart before we go that you are going to meditate on the truths in that page that I gave you. Look up the scriptures. Meditate on truths and get those into your mind so you can fight this spiritual battle that's going on. And when you start feeling insignificant or you have thoughts of insignificance, you can take the sword of the Spirit of God, which is the Word of God, and you can win those battles in your soul. <laughs> it will enable you to live out who God has made you to be by the truth of God's word. Would you purpose in your heart, church, to take the truths that we've shared with you the last few weeks, all of these wonderful truths that you've heard, and would you just purpose in your heart that no matter how long it takes, it may take years, it will in some cases, you're going to get these truths into your mind so that you can face life with the truth of God rather than with the lies of the devil that you've believed. Thank you, Father, for the promises of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close with a prayer time this morning. And uh, this prayer is for any need that you might have. Uh, certainly, I want to continue to pray for Melissa. What a battle she's been through. She still has a drain tube in. She's been dealing with a staph infection in her.